Hello, and thanks for listening to Forward, a podcast about the compelling stories, important issues, and memorable art that move us. My name is Mari. And my name is Christopher. Thanks for joining us. Today, we're talking about the limits of tolerance and what happens when a desire to be open and accepting as possible goes up against dangerous ideas and individuals. But before that, we'll get started with our Article Forward segment, where we share two stories that got us thinking this week. Mari, what do you have for us? Uh, So I have an NPR article called Empowering Kids in an Anxious World. And uh, this short article and accompanying podcast sort of brings together a couple of the other articles I've mentioned on this season of Forward. The article ties together the importance of play and its disappearance in children's lives with the idea of putting kids in the driver's seat of their own lives. Catherine Reynolds Lewis, author of The Good News About Bad Behavior, describes how in decades past, unsupervised play among mixed-age groups of kids fostered independence, communication, social skills, problem-solving, and resilience. However, nowadays, kids' time is always structured, under adult supervision, and often geared toward academics. This, coupled with what William Stixrud, author of The Self-Driven Child, sees as an epidemic of adults taking agency away from children, results in the highest rates ever of anxiety and depression among adolescents. Like many of the articles I've mentioned over the past 10 episodes, this again reiterates the importance of freedom, choice, agency, and play in the lives of children. Without these things, our kids are truly suffering, and they are in fact missing out on opportunities to learn. Now, that sounds like a really great article, like you said, just bringing together many of the topics we've been talking about. Exactly. And my article is from the New York Times Magazine, and it is called, Can the ACLU Become the NRA for the Left? The article gives a real fascinating look at the rapid evolution of the ACLU over the year and a half since the election of Donald Trump. Pre-Trump, this organization largely flew under the radar. It was supported by aging hippies, and it used the courts as its main avenue to protect and advance social liberties. In the 15 months after the election, however, its membership has gone from 400,000 to 1.84 million, and their donations online have gone from 3 to $5 million a year to $120 million a year. Money isn't the only thing that's different, though. These days, the ACLU wants to shape not just laws, but also elections and culture through its powerful ability to mobilize its members. Basically, it's an approach used by the NRA, which is known for being quickly able to motivate its members into action. It's well known that the NRA is a force to be reckoned with, and the ACLU is looking to be that force on the left, but for a whole range of issues. So if you're a card-carrying guardian of liberty, or just anyone who's worried about the state of civil liberties under Donald Trump, I think you'll enjoy reading about the transformation of this wonderful organization. Next up is our forward-thinking segment. In this segment, we take a closer look at one topic that's been on our minds— Do you consider yourself to be a tolerant person? If so, how far does your tolerance extend? To people on the opposite side of the political spectrum? What about to people who wish to do you or your community harm? This episode, Mari and I will be putting the idea of tolerance to the test and seeing what happens, or should, after it's hit its breaking point. These days, there's a lot of talk about tolerance, in politics, online, and throughout our entire country, as everything has become increasingly polarized. On one hand, you have conventional wisdom, Democrats, and just good old-fashioned manners telling you to be tolerant. 
Yet, on the other hand, one doesn't have to look far to see dangerous ideas, individuals, and larger organizations are becoming more visible than ever thanks to the internet. Not only that, these threatening forces are spreading faster, motivating people to mobilize, and in some cases resulting in dangerous actions in real life. You might consider yourself to be a tolerant person, but how much should you tolerate? And once you or our society has hit its limit, what happens after that breaking point? Mari, how about you get us started? How do you reconcile with the limits of your own tolerance? It's a, it's such a hard question because, you know, as a as someone who's sort of, you know, identifies as a liberal and, you know, kind of like on the left sort side of the political spectrum, one of the traits that you sort of associate with yourself is this idea of tolerance. Um, and like basically to me all that means is like being being open-minded and being accepting of other people who are different from me um and and you know and that is something that I uh want to do and want to like want to be proud of myself for um but then on the other hand you know you have people whose ideas are really harmful or they are saying things that are not just not true or not factual or not scientific and that can have harmful effects. Um, and so I don't want to be open and accepting to those people. But on the other hand, I know that there are plenty of people who would think that things that I say are evil or, you know, like the way that I live my life is wrong. And because it's so subjective, I, I worry sometimes that I don't have the right to say, well you know, I am not going to accept your point of view, you know, um, even though, the, you know, there are some things that are that are just factually wrong. And so it's it's hard to know what to do in that situation when you're confronted with that, with someone who has a very strong belief that I, you know, also feel very strongly is just plain and correct. Yeah. And I'm just kind of a person who likes boundaries. So I tried to come up with if there was a boundary kind of what would it look like kind of after which I'm just like okay I'm not gonna listen to that anymore or like it shouldn't be something we should have a broader discussion about um and I came up with just two things um if some idea is physically or emotionally dangerous and when something is completely and factually false for as much as we're able to tell. Um, And for the idea about things being false, it would kind of be something like whether or not the earth is flat. Mm -hmm. I feel like we're pretty much locked that the earth is not flat. We can even see it. Mm -hmm. Um, And for when the idea is dangerous, and we can talk about like what danger means, Mm -hmm. but if it harms the mind or harms the body, Mm -hmm. pretty easy to kind of rule on that one in my book no i agree and um and that is kind of kind of the thing is that when you know well i i guess guess there are several steps to this process it's like one um you know there needs to be like evidence out in the world from you know scientific sources and that needs to be accessible and people need to have access to that uh and to which hopefully like that leads to some kind of consensus you know scientific consensus that everyone is aware of it's like okay we can rely on this you know these various studies that have been done and we all kind of accept that this is the truth um and so people who are saying otherwise are not saying the truth 
Um, but then the, the third step is that you like steps do need to be taken to make sure that nobody gets hurt because of misinformation or, you know, people spreading lies or whatever. Um, and, and it's policies like that, that I think are the, the thing that prevents that because at the end of the day, you can't change someone's mind. You know, if they, if they just believe something and they believe it in, in spite of any facts that you want to bring to them, you can't make them change their mind. And you can try, you can talk to them, but at the end of the day, only they can change their mind. And so I think the only thing you can do is to try to mitigate the harm in the real world from that idea. No, I mean, I completely agree. I mean, I think just to bring up a couple things that I thought were timely is we were talking before this discussion kind of all about Facebook and how they're dealing with the large amount of misinformation on their platform and just kind of some of their more harmful pages, you know, like Alex Jones Infowars and people who, you know, like denied that the Holocaust never happened. Kind of what is this network doing to start to regulate that? Mm-hmm. And I think Facebook is just like a fun little corner of the world that we can use to examine this larger issue. Yeah, I agree. And so I'm just going to read one press statement that Facebook said recently, kind of I mean, like a week or two ago. Mm-hmm. And their official statement is that uh, we allow people to post as a form of expression, but we're not going to show it atop the newsfeed. And so it starts to get at a little bit what we're talking about. Anyone can have a thought, but mm-hmm. Facebook as a company and as kind of almost a citizen in its own way or like a force in our country also has a responsibility to not amp up mm-hmm. and promote misinformation. And then one other thing, I'm just going to bring up two quotes from two different articles I read. One is by Eli Rosenberg in the Washington Post. And they said, if Facebook wants to uphold a base level of free speech, it might be prudent to let the liars have their voice. And then John Constantine, who was writing in TechCrunch, said that for people who violate kind of Facebook's terms of use and regularly spread misinformation, he said... When it comes to repeat offenders, that reduction in visibility in the newsfeed should be almost 100%. Hmm. And so Alex Jones can post every day, all day nonsense. Mm-hmm. And you can see it if you go to his page and you can read all about it. But then if you try to share it in the newsfeed or he tries to share it in the newsfeed, it goes nowhere. Mm-hmm. And like in a funny way, I'm going somewhere with this point. That kind of almost brings us back to like the pre-internet age when this was more under control, where if you had a crazy thought, you could only share it with your like immediate Mm -hmm. friends and family and maybe like a little cult following that you had. And this was much more under control. But now when you have the internet and misinformation gets an equal voice to everything else in the newsfeed, it warps your mind. And you're just like, oh, this article about, I don't know, something heinous is right next to this this ho-hum news story about the weather must be equal. Right. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I was reading the same thing about Facebook. And, you know, there was there was kind of a big brouhaha about the way that um, Mark Zuckerberg was, was talking about those policies that you were just uh, mentioning. Um, you know, he he did an interview with Recode um, in which he, you know, the, the interviewer asked him about exactly what you were talking about where, you know, Facebook's role in spreading misinformation and what's he doing about that and um, the interviewer was kind of saying 
uh, you know, doesn't Facebook, you know, can't like, why can't Facebook just take down um, things that are factually untrue? Or why can't they prevent people from uh, posting things that are factually untrue? And um, what Mark Zuckerberg got in trouble for was a, a comment about Holocaust deniers. But his point um, is, is something that I think I agree with. And I might not be a popular opinion. But basically what he, what he was saying was exactly what you just said. You know, we like people get things wrong and we can't always assess like how wrong they are or like why they got it wrong or if they're getting it wrong on purpose and if they should be punished for that, if it should be taken down. Um, you know, obviously, like just regular people will kind of write a Facebook status about something that happened and, and get it wrong and that could have unintended consequences and can't be policing that all the time. Um, and so he was basically saying, but if something, you know, if like a news article or some other piece of content is known to be, you know, um, not factual and it's, you know, it's, it's known that this is not an accurate, uh, depiction of events, then exactly like you said, it, it will be kind of pushed down in the news feed so that people won't see it. And I, I, I think that's kind of gets at the core of what my initial dilemma with all this was, was that like, sure, you know, of course we have things that are obviously wrong, you know, like Holocaust deniers and, you know, Sandy Hook conspiracists and flat earthers and anti-vaxxers. Um, but there are also a lot of other things that people would consider really offensive in different contexts or in different countries. And of course, Facebook is a global network um, that other communities would find perfectly normal. And so you to to say like this is okay and this is not okay becomes a sort of like in some cases probably not Facebook's place to say what you know which things like in every case what's right and what's wrong um but it also becomes impossible and you know you could obviously make an argument that like there are certain things that are um inherently harmful um, and that Facebook just shouldn't allow people to make pages on at all, you know, like Holocaust deniers and stuff like that. Um, and, and that is like totally, that's something that I'm open to, like kind of even just given this discussion about how there are some things that are just factually untrue and have been demonstrated to cause violence and cause harm to people. Um, and for the select cases where that is definitely true, um, maybe it is Facebook's responsibility to say, okay, we we don't publish pages that support, you know, Holocaust deniers, or we don't like publish pages um, about, you know, Sandy Hook conspiracy theories and stuff like that. Um, I, I'm open to that, but I also don't think that it's Facebook's place to to police in every instance. Well, this is this is true. This is not true. This is bad. This is okay. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. Like, mm -hmm. it sucks. But for the most part, you have to let people say what they want to say. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, like you said, if it's factually untrue, you have more reason to take it down or kind of going back to my other definition, if it physically causes harm, they also take that down too. Like if it violates their terms of service, if you're talking about a death threat. Yeah, like, or if it's harassment. Totally. All that would get taken down. It gets a squishy place where, like, obviously sharing a racist joke mm -hmm. in its own way is harmful. Mm -hmm. Maybe less directly as you're not threatening someone's life, but you're indirectly mm -hmm. putting a group of people in harm. Right. 
it sucks, but I think sometimes you you just have to let some of that yeah. stuff stand. Well, and here's actually a good example of kind of the opposite, where on Twitter, um, Twitter does ban people. Um, I don't know if Facebook bans people too, but we know that Twitter bans people. And I think it's largely, or not, not maybe not mostly, but like there's some component of it that's people getting reported and that sometimes results in people getting banned. I think there are other um, components of it as well. Um, but I've seen many times um, people who, not who I know personally, but who are kind of friends of friends who get their accounts banned. Um, and from their perspective, they were not doing anything wrong. You know, maybe mm-hmm. they were promoting LGBT issues or, you know, Black Lives Matter or whatever, like kind of the different different issues that some people might not support. Um, but, you know, nothing like Holocaust deniers or anything like that. And meanwhile, you know, Roseanne Barr was posting racist, has been posting racist stuff for years and she was fine. So I think it's just an example of like a system where people do get taken off the network for various reasons, but because you know, what's offensive can get subjective. People are getting banned when maybe they shouldn't be and they like that they definitely feel that they shouldn't be, you know, and is that really fair? No, I mean, and I think in the most cases when you have like a public banning, mm-hmm. right? Because like they're going to go on another network and talk about, oh, my ideas were too true. Right. Or they're just going to create another Twitter account. Right. But- um, I think it just, you know, starts to recognize them and their opinions. It might not mm-hmm. say they're correct, but it kind of builds up their clout right. as like Facebook noticed, yeah. right? Yeah. Whereas like if you're just kind of passively brought down in the newsfeed, mm-hmm. you kind of start to just like, you know, quietly suppress mm-hmm. people. And, 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 you know, that's dangerous too, but... I think if I, you know, if like an idea is good and pure and wants the best for everyone, I think it's going to spread. Um, yeah. And maybe I'm just being too optimistic. Maybe. I think these ideas that are hateful, you know, they're definitely going to spread too. But I can't imagine like a majority of people in the country are mm-hmm. hateful. And if they are, then like we're just going to head in a more hateful direction. Right. I thought of another example of a social network that um, penalizes people for offensive material, and that's YouTube. And uh, YouTube mm. will, like, so if you have an account and you uh, run ads on your videos, that's called monetization. You know this, obviously. Um, and if YouTube powers powers that be, I don't, I don't know how it's determined, but um, if the powers that be decide that a particular video is offensive or it's, you know, whatever, it's not appropriate, um, they can demonetize the video. It, which means that you can't run ads on it and you can't make money off of it. Um, sounds like a good idea. Uh, you know, there have been plenty of controversies of people posting videos that should not be on the internet um, and even people's accounts getting banned because they were posting a lot of stuff like that. Um, but then on the other hand, I've, um, see, again, seen like Friends of Friends or even um, this one channel that I follow uh, had videos demonetized for, in one case... It, seemingly because the thumbnail seemed to look like something inappropriate but Mm. really wasn't um and in another case it was somebody documenting their um gender transition and there wasn't anything to to my mind inappropriate about it but it was demonetized and the person who posted it um was suggesting that it was demonetized because it was about a trans issue and 
Uh, so then again, you kind of get into this issue of like, okay, well, once you decide that some things are okay and some things aren't, who's making that decision? And uh, how, like, how is that decision being made? And where, where is the line drawn between what's okay and what's not okay? Um, so bringing it back to uh, the idea of being a tolerant person, and, and I think maybe part of the problem for me is that I value um, the idea, I, I value the idea of thinking of myself as tolerant. Like I, I see tolerance as a virtue. And when I say tolerance, I mean, I basically mean kind of like open-mindedness um, and acceptance and like at least um, hearing people out, you know, and kind of like thinking about what they have to say or like thinking about, you know, the lifestyle choices that they're sharing with me. Um, and not immediately, you know, judging it or saying that, that it's wrong. And, and that's sort of a quality that I, I think is a good quality and it's a quality that I want to have. Um, and so then when I find myself, you know, kind of reading about other people's opinions or their beliefs, and I just think they're ridiculous, um, it sort of makes me question, uh, my identity as a quote-unquote tolerant person um and I think maybe that's where where I have trouble with it is that it's kind of part of my identity and I don't want to think of myself as someone who's not tolerant um so yeah I don't know do you have any thoughts on that no I mean I do in the sense that I also like to think of myself as someone who's tolerant at the same time I would hate myself if I was too tolerant and let harmful ideas fester mm-hmm. to the point where they kind of boiled over. Right. Um, even maybe simple example. Like, if I had a friend who made, like, slightly condescending jokes about women, mm-hmm. just did it from time to time, maybe not enough to make a big stink about it, and I could kind of be tolerant of my friend thinking that like hey he hasn't been exposed to the people that i have or the you know his background is different but then a month later he raped someone Mm. i'd be like shit yeah i probably should have freaking said something Mm -hmm. and been a little less like laissez-faire about it Mm -hmm. um definitely and so that's why sometimes i like being tolerant but maybe a little less tolerant than i thought I think kind of here's the new way post-2016 I'm thinking about tolerance where even kind of going back to our last discussion with kind of, you know, more toxic masculinity that sometimes there needs to be more natural consequences for harmful thinking Mm -hmm. and, and harmful behavior. And I would hate to kind of be someone who isn't kind of calling out bad behavior when i see it Mm -hmm. and i think calling out bad behavior is different than being not tolerant it's kind of having a discussion about it yeah but if someone's like straight up i see women as lesser people Mm -hmm. well i'm just like well screw you (laughs) that i'm not tolerant of you and if that makes me a shitty liberal so be it yeah yeah because i think um you know, because, you know, this idea of, like, being tolerant, being accepting, um, obviously, we see a lot of people kind of, you know, like, people who align themselves with Democrats, like, liberals, whatever, um, saying that, you know, people who support Trump are all idiots, and they're all racist, and, um, 
they're not even worth talking to or engaging to. And you know, maybe that's true. Um, I do think that voting for Trump at the very least means that you don't care about racism, which is bas- is kind of the same thing. Um, but that's just my point of view. Um, and so, you know, you and I and so I understand why there are conservatives who point to that behavior and say, well, you're not you're not really tolerant because you're kind of just writing off this whole portion of the population. And so I don't want to do that. You know, in, in, in like in, in all honesty, I don't want to do that. Um, I I want to be cognizant of the fact that all these people are people. And, you know, there are lots of different reasons that people have for doing things that they do. And even if they do bad things, there there might be there. It's possible there might be some kind of good intent there. Um, so I don't want to just write people off, even though I do believe that their support of Trump is causing real harm. Um, so I think what you were just saying about uh, being able to have a discussion about it is actually kind of crucial because you it's sort of like um, like you shouldn't have tolerance without any sort of reason, you know, like tolerance without any sort of like rationality or logic. Um, because I think having rational logical discussions and um and engaging in dialogue is is very much compatible with with tolerance because tolerance is basically like now in through this conversation i've been thinking about it and i think that kind of how i see tolerance is like having an open door in your mind to different ideas and saying like i'll at least hear it out and i'll think about it and i'll do a little research and after i've done all of that i'll decide if i agree with it or not and if i don't agree with it I will, and it's like, it has a potential to cause harm, then I'll try to help, you know, it not cause harm. And um, I think the best thing to do is then to engage people who, who believe in that and, and see if you can not even convince them, but just kind of like see what their thought process is and share, share with them your thought process and what you've learned about it and kind of just see what happens, you know? Yeah. I mean... I think there's kind of always that like phase one where you're open as you should be and like willing to engage people in conversation, even if they have harmful ideas. Mm-hmm. I think if it gets to that point where it's just like, no, this is what I'm thinking and I'm not going to change my mind no matter whatever you say, then in my mind, I'm just like, you do you then, but I'm not going to like bolster your opinion or bring you on you know cnn for like a round table or Mm -hmm. something i mean i think there's got to be a limit Mm -hmm. if you're only bringing harmful ideas to the table and won't see logic or reason otherwise it's just then like you have forfeited Mm -hmm. a voice at the table with everyone like the whole populace right um and i think unfortunately um the where the line is obviously is different of course with, with each issue and even like with context um and so kind of really the important thing is to like we've talked about many times the ability to think critically and the ability to do some research and you know bring bring some evidence together and like look at it from a bunch of different perspectives so that if you are in a position where you may need to exclude somebody from you know 
being in a spotlight of some kind or if you need to create a policy at a school that's you know excludes children who are not vaccinated stuff like that um that you are in a position to do so like you're informed enough to be able to make that decision and back it up totally i mean again like this is a simple black and white example but if you're the new york times you should not and they haven't to my knowledge in recent memory run any kind of op-ed from like an anti-vaxxer saying Mm -hmm. why not vaccinating your kids is a great thing Mm -hmm. like that person can hold seminars schools can you know sorry schools cannot pay that person to come or they shouldn't no clubs at schools can pay that person to come but the new york times should not run Mm -hmm. that op-ed it just does not deserve that kind of elevated spotlight given what we know about the issue Mm -hmm. um and I think that brings me to my other point. I feel like there's been a lot of controversy around more controversial speakers coming to schools when the school isn't funding it, but the kids are. I mean, that should be allowed to happen. Mm-hmm. Like, we still have free speech and people should be able to be heard. But, you know, my tuition shouldn't go to bringing someone who's going to spout hate speech to my school. Like, right. that's a step too far. Right. Um, yeah, I agree. And, and yeah, it's, it's interesting, like, you know, the, you brought up the idea of free speech. Obviously, that's something that's really important in this country, or it, it should be. Um, and, and you were talking about in the context of, like, students being able to bring a speaker to the school. And, and I think that's, um, like, this kind of idea of free speech um, also goes al- along with one of my initial concerns about this, like, issue um namely uh you know how how tolerant should we be of of ideas uh which is that like you you know we have the the right to free speech free expression um and i think it almost goes without saying that we have the right to our own ideas of course right you know everybody like that i do think that you know (laughs) i mean plainly because you you can't police what people are thinking um even though some countries may try to um and you you can't take an idea out of somebody's head and you can't force them to change their minds obviously you know by default we we have to have freedom of of ideas um and and that's i think kind of why i was feeling uncomfortable with just completely writing off you know people who who have ideas who i i that i think are are really bad um and obviously you can't like send people to jail for their ideas um which is i'm sure something that like the other countries definitely do and so i'm sure people in this country would like to do um but but you can't do that and the the reason why you can't do that is that it's basically impossible to parse out for every particular idea which ones are good and which ones are bad well and like just even trying my best to follow logic and reason here um having free thought is just a blessing and a curse of being human yeah like if we wanted to regulate something more than that we couldn't be human we'd have to like be robots or some kind of other species Mm -hmm. our thoughts are too unstructured to regulate at that level Mm -hmm. but i think another aspect of being human is like you have like a responsibility to regulate your actions yeah and so you can totally believe whatever you want but when that belief goes into action 
and it's doing harmful things, I think other humans also have a responsibility mm-hmm. to step in yeah. and not be tolerant. Like, mm, dude's killing this person because he believes people with brown hair are the devil. Right. Like, we should probably stop that. Right. Yeah. Obviously a fake example. but <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And I think uh, maybe the last thing I'll say is that, like, um, you know, we were kind of saying that in in a lot of cases ha- like having having a discussion about about different ideas and being able to uh, at least try to understand where the other person is coming from is is a useful and probably a good step to take in many situations and um i think that tolerance or like that open mindedness we were talking about is a a necessary first step in order to even have those discussions mm-hmm. right because if you're if you don't have that initial tolerance you're not even going to hear somebody out you're not even going to have the discussion so so i think they go hand in hand and i also think that um allowing people to say what they're going to say and kind of hearing them out it can be done in a way that doesn't automatically validate what they're saying you know you can i think it's possible to let someone kind of say their piece and then say well you know actually here's you know the evidence that i have this is my experience um and so that's why i disagree with you i think you're wrong rather than saying like you know you can't say that you shouldn't be allowed to speak at all you know totally but anyway um i think sort of at the end of the day what kind of what we've been talking about is the best way so first the the priority should be on minimizing actual harm in the world right like if so if there's an idea that can cause actual harm to real people in the real world um we need sort of policies and laws to prevent the actions that follow from the ideas um and i think another thing is just like being able to educate yourself and like trying to help educate others and um fostering uh the ability to think critically because if we have a nation full of like really sharp critical thinkers like you were just saying the dumb ideas will die out because if we have a bunch of people who are doing their research and are able to think logically and rationally the the flat earth idea is going to go away you know so i think kind of those are the most important things it's like doing what you can to minimize harmful actions and just educating people and getting people to to really think for themselves yeah and like i think at the end of the day harmful ideas are driven in a large part by fear and that's always gonna be there i do think that something is that's like equally persistent is that um wanting to rally around a good idea Mm -hmm. and by that i mean like good for all it improves everyone's well-being it doesn't Mm want to bring harm i think at the end of the day those are always gonna kind of rise out yeah um it just stinks because there is a real ebb and flow like we're seeing right now yeah. where kind of people in power are not on the same page about that. Right. Yeah, um, well, they have different priorities. Yeah. Exactly. Well, thank you. I feel a little bit better now about my level of tolerance. Yes. <laughs> Our final segment of the podcast is Watchlist. In this segment, we recommend one TV show or movie that's flying beneath the radar but worth checking out. 
This episode, our recommendation is Set It Up. In this Netflix original movie, two overworked 20-something assistants come up with a plan to get their demanding bosses off their backs by getting them to fall in love with each other. Now, I know what you're thinking. This sounds totally ridiculous, and I thought the same thing. Everything from the trailer to even the cover of the movie told me this was not going to be a good movie, but it kind of was. I found myself having such a good time watching this movie. The two main actors who play both the assistants, I think, had really fabulous chemistry, and their charm just totally sold this movie for me. And with the support of a sharp script and pretty believable performances, at least by the two main actors... I think this movie kind of stacks up against some of my favorite rom-coms in recent years. Um, So if you're just looking for a fun Friday night movie that's going to make you laugh, don't pass this one up like I almost did. Definitely a fun movie. I enjoyed it. Uh, And if you enjoy this podcast, uh, just search for FWD, that's forward in iTunes or your favorite podcast app to subscribe. We're also on Google Play or you can subscribe on SoundCloud. Thank you so much for listening. If you ever have any questions, thoughts, or topic suggestions, you can email us at forwardpodcast at gmail.com. That's fwdpodcast at gmail.com. Goodbye for now. And that's a wrap on season one. Bye.